Your listenership is so important to us. We really do hope you're enjoying the show. If you're able to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be enormously helpful in allowing us to reach more people and help them get a good night's sleep. So is following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player that you use. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 10 and 11 of TikTok of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 10 A Terrible Tumble Through a Tube I suppose that Polychrome and perhaps Queen Anne and her army might have been able to dispel the enchantment of Regedo's chief magician had they known that danger lay in their pathway. For the rainbow's daughter was a fairy, and as Ugaboo is a part of the land of Oz, its inhabitants cannot easily be deceived by such common magic as the gnome king could command. But no one suspected any especial danger until after they had entered Regedo's cavern, and so they were journeying along in quite a contented manner when Tiktok, who marched ahead, suddenly disappeared. The officers thought he must have turned a corner, so they kept on their way, and all of them likewise disappeared, one after another. Queen Anne was rather surprised at this, and in hasting forwards to learn the reason, she also vanished from sight. Betsy Bobbin had tired her feet by walking, so she was now riding upon the back of the stout little mule, facing backwards and talking to Shaggy and Polychrome, who were just behind. Suddenly, Hank pitched forward and began falling, and Betsy would have tumbled over his head had she not grabbed the mule's shaggy neck with both arms and held on for dear life. All around was darkness, and they were not falling directly downward, but seemed to be sliding along a steep incline. Hank's hooves were resting upon some smooth substance, over which he slid with the swiftness of the wind. Once Betsy's heels flew up 
up and struck a similar substance overhead. They were, indeed, descending the hollow tube that led to the other side of the world. Stop, Hank, stop, cried the girl, but Hank only uttered a plaintive hee-haw, for it was impossible for him to obey. After several minutes had passed, and no harm had befallen them, Betsy gained courage. She could see nothing at all, nor could she hear anything, except the rush of air past her ears as they plunged downwards along the tube. Whether she and Hank were alone, or the others were with them, she could not tell. But had someone been able to take a flashlight photograph of the tube at that time, a most curious picture would have resulted. There was Tick-Tock, flat upon his back and sliding head foremost down the incline, and there were the officers of the army of Ugaboo, all tangled up in a confused crowd, flapping their arms and trying to shield their faces from the clanking swords, which swung back and forth during the swift journey and pommeled everyone within their reach. Now followed Queen Anne, who had struck the tube in a sitting position and went flying along with a dash and abandon that thoroughly bewildered the poor lady, who had no idea what had happened to her. Then, a little distance away, but unseen by the others in the inky darkness, slid Betsy and Hank, while behind them were Shaggy and Polychrome, and finally Files and the princess. When first they tumbled into the tube, all were too dazed to think clearly, but the trip was a long one, because the cavity led straight through the earth to a place just opposite the Gnome King's dominions, and long before the adventurers got to the end, they had begun to recover their wits. This is awful, Hank, cried Betsy in a loud voice, and Queen Anne heard her and called out, Are you safe, Betsy? Mercy, no, answered the little girl. How could anyone be safe? when she's going about sixty miles a minute. Then, after a pause, she added, But where do you suppose we're going to, your majesty? Don't ask her that, please don't, said Shaggy, who was not too far away to overhear them. 
and please don't ask me why either. Why? said Betsy. No one can tell where we are going until we get there, replied Shaggy, and then he yelled, Ouch! For Polychrome had overtaken him and was now sitting on his head. The Rainbow's daughter laughed merrily, and so infectious was this joyous laugh that Betsy echoed it, and Hank said, Hee-haw, in a mild and sympathetic tone of voice. I'd like to know where and when we'll arrive, just the same, exclaimed the girl. Be patient, and you'll find out, my dear, said Polychrome. But isn't this an odd experience? Here am I, whose home is in the skies, making a journey through the center of the earth, where I never expected to be. How do you know we're in the center of the earth? asked Betsy, her voice trembling a little through nervousness. Why? We can't be anywhere else, replied Polychrome. I have often heard of this passage, which was once built by a magician who was a great traveller. He thought it would save him the bother of going around the earth's surface, but he tumbled through the tube so fast that he shot out at the other end and hit a star in the sky, which at once exploded. The star exploded? asked Betsy, wonderingly. Yes, the magician hit it so hard. And what became of the magician? inquired the girl. No one knows that, answered Polychrome. But I don't think it matters much. It matters a good deal, if we also hit the star when we come out, said Queen Anne with a moan. Don't worry, advised Polychrome. I believe the magician was going the other way, and probably he went much faster than we are going. It's fast enough to suit me, remarked Shaggy, gently removing Polychrome's heel from his left eye. Couldn't you manage to fall all by yourself, my dear? I'll try, laughed the Rainbow's daughter. All this time they were swiftly falling through the tube, and it was not so easy for them to talk as you may imagine when you read their words. But although they were so helpless and altogether in the dark as to their fate, the fact that they were able to converse at all cheered them considerably. Files and Osgur were also conversing as they clung tightly to one another, and the young fellow 
bravely strove to reassure the princess, although he was terribly frightened, both on her account and on his own. An hour under such trying circumstances is a very long time, and for more than an hour they continued their fearful journey. Then, just as they began to fear the tube would never end, Tick-Tock popped out into the broad daylight, and, after making a graceful circle in the air, fell with a splash into a great marble fountain. Out came the officers in quick succession, tumbling heels overhead and striking the ground in many undignified attitudes. For the love of Sassafras, exclaimed a peculiar person who was hoeing pink violets in a garden. What can all this mean? For answer, Queen Anne sailed up from the tube, took a ride through the air as high as the treetops, and alighted squarely on top of the peculiar person's head, smashing a jeweled crown over his eyes and tumbling him to the ground. The mule was heavier and had Betsy clinging to his back, so he did not go so high up. Fortunately for his little rider, he struck the ground upon his four feet. Betsy was jarred a trifle, but not hurt, and when she looked around her, she saw the queen and the peculiar person struggling together upon the ground where the man was trying to choke Anne, and she had both her hands in his bushy hair and was pulling with all her might. Some of the officers, when they got upon their feet, hastened to separate the combatants and sought to restrain the peculiar person so that he could not attack their queen again. By this time, Shaggy, Polychrome, Oscar and Files had all arrived and were curiously examining the strange country in which they found themselves, and which they knew to be exactly the opposite side of the world from the place where they had fallen into the tube. It was a lovely place, indeed, and seemed to be the garden of some great prince, for through the vistas of trees and shrubbery could be seen the towers of an immense castle. But as yet the only inhabitant to greet them was the peculiar person just mentioned who had shaken off the grasp of the officers without effort, and was now trying to pull the battered crown from off his eyes. Shaggy, who was always polite, helped him to do this, and when the man was free and could see again, 
he looked at his visitors with evident amazement. Well, 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 he exclaimed. Where did you come from and how did you get here? Betsy tried to answer him, for Queen Anne was surly and silent. I can't say exactly where we came from, because I don't know the name of the place, said the girl. But the way we got here was through the hollow tube. Don't call it a hollow tube, please, exclaimed the peculiar person in an irritated tone of voice. It's a tube. It's sure to be hollow. Why? asked Betsy. Because all tubes are made that way. But this tube is private property, and everyone is forbidden to fall in it. We didn't do it on purpose, exclaimed Betsy, and Polychrome added, I am quite sure that Ruggedo, the Gnome King, pushed us down that tube. Ha! Ruggedo! Did you say Ruggedo? cried the man, becoming much excited. That is what she said, replied Shaggy, and I believe she is right. We were on our way to conquer the Gnome King when suddenly we fell into the tube. Then you are enemies of Ruggedo, inquired the peculiar person. Not exactly enemies, said Betsy, a little puzzled by the question. Because we don't know him at all, but we started out to conquer him, which isn't as friendly as it might be. True, agreed the man. He looked thoughtfully from one to the other of them for a while, and then he turned his head over his shoulder and said, Never mind the fire and pincers, my good brothers. It will be best to take these strangers to the private citizen. Very well, Tubekins, responded a voice, deep and powerful, that seemed to come out of the air, for the speaker was invisible. All our friends gave a jump at this. Even Polychrome was so startled that her gauze draperies fluttered like a banner in the breeze. Shaggy shook his head and sighed. Queen Anne looked very unhappy. The officers clung to each other, trembling violently. But soon they gained courage to look more closely at the peculiar person. As he was a type of all the inhabitants of this extraordinary land whom they afterwards met, I will try to tell you what he looked like. His face was beautiful, but lacked expression. 
His eyes were large and blue in color, and his teeth finely formed and white as snow. His hair was black and bushy, and seemed inclined to curl at the ends. So far, no one could find any fault with his appearance. He wore a robe of scarlet, which did not cover his arms, and extended no lower than his bare knees. On the bosom of the robe was embroidered a terrible dragon's head, as horrible to look at as the man was beautiful. His arms and legs were left bare, and the skin of one arm was bright yellow, and the skin of the other arm a vivid green. He had one blue leg and one pink one, while both his feet, which showed through the open sandals he wore, were jet black. Betsy could not decide whether these gorgeous colors were dyes or the natural tints of the skin, but while she was thinking it over, the man who had been called Tubkins said, Follow me to the residence, all of you. But just then, a voice exclaimed, Here's another of them, Tubkins, lying in the water of the fountain. Gracious, cried Betsy, it must be Tick-Tock, and he'll drown. Water is a bad thing for his clockworks anyhow, agreed Shaggy, as with one accord they all started for the fountain. But before they could reach it, invisible hands raised Tick-Tock from the marble basin and set him upon his feet beside it, water dripping from every joint of his copper body. Many th-th-th-thanks, he said, and then his copper jaw clicked together and he could say no more. He next made an attempt to walk, but after several awkward trials, found he could not move his joints. Peals of jeering laughter from the persons unseen greeted Tick-Tock's failure, and the new arrivals in this strange land found it very uncomfortable to realize that there were many creatures around them who were invisible, yet could be heard plainly. Shall I wind him up? asked Betsy, feeling very sorry for Tick-Tock. I think his machinery is wound, but he needs oiling, replied Shaggy. At once, an oil can appeared before him, held on a level with his eyes by some unseen hand. Shaggy took the can and tried to oil Tick-Tock's joints. As if 
to assist him, a strong current of warm air was directed against the copper man, which quickly dried him. Soon he was able to say, Many thanks, quite smoothly, and his joints worked fairly well. Come, commanded Tubekins, and turning his back upon them, he walked up the path towards the castle. Shall we go? asked Queen Anne uncertainly, but just then she received a shove that almost pitched her forward on her head, so she decided to go. The officers who hesitated received several energetic kicks, but could not see who delivered them. Therefore, they also decided, very wisely, to go. The others followed willingly enough, for unless they ventured upon the other terrible journey through the tube, they must make the best of the unknown country they were in, and the best seemed to be to obey orders. Chapter 11 The Famous Fellowship of Fairies After a short walk through very beautiful gardens, they came to the castle and followed Tubekins through the entrance and into a great domed chamber where he commanded them to be seated. From the crown which he wore, Betsy had thought this man must be the king of the country they were in, yet after he had seated all the strangers upon benches, they were ranged in a semicircle before a high throne. Tubekins bowed humbly before the vacant throne, and in a flash became invisible and disappeared. The hall was an immense place, but there seemed to be no one in it besides themselves. Presently, however, they heard a low cough near them, and here and there was the faint rustling of a robe and a slight patter of footsteps. Then suddenly there rang out the clear tone of a bell, and at the sound all was changed. Gazing around the hall in bewilderment, they saw that it was filled with hundreds of men and women, all with beautiful faces and staring blue eyes, and all wearing scarlet robes and jeweled crowns upon their heads. In fact, these people seemed exact duplicates of Tubekins, and it was difficult to find any mark by which to tell them apart. My, what a lot of kings and queens, 
whispered Betsy to Polychrome, who sat beside her and appeared much interested in the scene, but not a bit worried. It is certainly a strange sight, was Polychrome's reply, but I cannot see how there can be more than one king or queen in any one country, for were these all rulers, no one could tell who was master. One of the kings who stood near and overheard this remark turned to her and said, One who is master of himself is always a king, if only to himself. In this favoured land, all kings and queens are equal, and it is our privilege to bow before our supreme ruler, the private citizen. Who is he? inquired Betsy. As if to answer her, the clear tones of the bell again rang out, and instantly there appeared seated in the throne the man who was lord and master of all these royal ones. This fact was evident when with one accord they fell upon their knees and touched their foreheads to the floor. The private citizen was not unlike the others, except that his eyes were black instead of blue, and in the centres of the black irises glowed red sparks that seemed like coals of fire. But his features were very beautiful and dignified, and his manner composed and stately. Instead of the prevalent scarlet robe, he wore one of white, and the same dragon's head that decorated the others was embroidered upon its bosom. What charge lies against these people, Tubkins? he asked in quiet, even tones. They came through the forbidden tube, O mighty citizen, was the reply. You see... It was this way, said Betsy. We were marching to the Gnome King to conquer him and set Shaggy's brother free, when on a sudden... Who were you? demanded the private citizen sternly. Me? Oh, I'm Betsy Bobbin, and... Who is the leader of this party? asked the citizen. Sir, I am Queen Anne of Oogaboo, and... Then keep quiet, said the citizen. Who is the leader? No one answered for a moment. Then General Bun stood up. Sit down, commanded the citizen. I can see that sixteen of you are merely officers, and of no account. But we have an army, 
said General Clock, blustering, for he didn't like to be told he was of no account. Where is your army? asked the citizen. It's me, said Tick-Tock, his voice sounding a little rusty. I'm the only private soldier in the party. Hearing this, the citizen rose and bowed respectfully to the clockwork man. Pardon me for not realizing your importance before, said he. Will you oblige me by taking a seat beside me on my throne? Tick-tock rose and walked over to the throne, all the kings and queens making way for him. Then, with clanking steps, he mounted the platform and sat on the broad seat beside the citizen. Anne was greatly provoked at this mark of favour shown to the humble clockwork man, but Shaggy seemed much pleased that his old friend's importance had been recognised by the ruler of this remarkable country. The citizen now began to question Tick-Tock, who told in his mechanical voice about Shaggy's request of his lost brother, and how Ozma of Oz had sent the clockwork man to assist him, and how they had fallen in with Queen Anne and her people from Oogaboo. Also, he told how Betsy and Hank and Polychrome and the Rose Princess had happened to join their party. And you intended to conquer Regedo, the metal monarch and king of the gnomes, asked the citizen. Yes, that seemed the only thing for us to do, was Tick-Tock's reply. But he was too clever for us. When we got close to his cavern, he made our path lead to the tube and made the opening invisible so that we all fell into it before we knew it was there. It was an easy way to get rid of us, and now Ruggedo is safe, and we are far away in a strange land. The citizen was silent a moment, and seemed to be thinking. Then he said, Most noble private soldier, I must inform you that by the laws of our country, anyone who comes through the forbidden tube must be tortured for nine days and ten nights, then thrown back into the tube. But it is wise to disregard laws when they conflict with justice, and it seems that you and your fellows did not disobey our laws willingly, being forced into the tube by Ruggedo. Therefore, the Gnome King is alone to blame, and he alone 
must be punished. That suits me, said Tick-Tock, but Ruggedo is on the other side of the world, where he is away out of your reach. The citizen drew himself up proudly. Do you imagine anything in the world or upon it can be out of the reach of the great Jinjin? he asked. Oh, are you, then, the great Jinjin? inquired Tick-Tock. I am. Then your name is Ti-Ti-Ti-Hu-Chu. It is. Queen Anne gave a scream and began to tremble. Shaggy was so disturbed that he took out a handkerchief and wiped the perspiration from his brow. Polychrome looked sober and uneasy for the first time, while Files put his arms around the Rose Princess as if to protect her. As for the officers, the name of the great Jinjin set them moaning and weeping at a great rate, and every one fell upon his knees before the throne, begging for mercy. Betsy was worried at seeing her companions so disturbed, but did not know what it was all about. Only Tick-Tock was unmoved at the discovery. Then, said he, if you are Tititihuchu and think Ruggedo is to blame, I am sure that something queer will happen to the King of the Gnomes. I wonder what will be said Betsy. The private citizen, otherwise known as Tititihuchu, the great Jinjin, looked at the little girl steadily. I will presently decide what is to happen to Ruggedo, said he in a hard, stern voice. Then, Turning to the throng of kings and queens, he continued, Tick-Tock has spoken truly, for his machinery will not allow him to lie, nor will it allow his thoughts to think falsely. Therefore, these people are not our enemies and must be treated with consideration and justice. Take them to your palaces and entertain them as your guests until tomorrow, when I command that they be brought again to my residence. By then I shall have formed my plans. No sooner had Tititihuchu spoken than he disappeared from sight. Immediately after... Most of the kings and queens likewise disappeared, but several of them remained visible and approached the stranger with great respect. 
one of the lovely queens said to Betsy, I trust you will honor me by being my guest. I am Irma, Queen of Light. May Hank come with me? asked the girl. The king of animals will care for your mule, was the reply. But do not fear for him, for he will be treated royally. All of your party will be reunited on the morrow. I, I'd like to have someone with me, said Betsy pleadingly. Queen Irma looked around and smiled upon Polychrome. Will the rainbow's daughter be an agreeable companion, she added. Oh yes, exclaimed the girl. So Polychrome and Betsy became guests of the Queen of Light, while other beautiful kings and queens took charge of the others of the party. The two girls followed Irma out of the hall and through the gardens of the residence to a village of pretty dwellings. None of these was so large or imposing as the castle of the private citizen, but all were handsome enough to be called palaces, as, in fact, they really were. 